You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen, and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim, skillfully worked into them. The length of each curtain shall be twenty-eight cubits, and the breadth of each curtain four cubits. All the curtains shall be the same size. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. Likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost curtain in the second set. Fifty loops you shall make on the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite one another. And you shall make fifty clasps of gold, and couple the curtains one to the other with the clasps, so that the tabernacle may be a single whole. You shall also make curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shall you make. The length of each curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the breadth of each curtain four cubits. The eleven curtains shall be the same size. You shall couple five curtains by themselves, and six curtains by themselves, and the sixth curtain you shall double over at the front of the tent. You shall make fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set, and fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in the second set. You shall make fifty clasps of bronze, and put the clasps into the loops, and couple the tent together, that it may be a single whole. And the part that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains, shall hang over the back of the tabernacle. And the extra that remains in the length of the curtains, the cubit on the one side and the cubit on the other side, shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle, on this side and that side, to cover it. And you shall make for the tent a covering of tanned ram skins, and a covering of goat skins on top. You shall make upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits shall be the length of a frame, and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame. There shall be two tenons in each frame for fitting together. So shall you do for all the frames of the tabernacle. You shall make the frames for the tabernacle, twenty frames for the south side, and forty bases of silver shall you make under the twenty frames, two bases under one frame for its two tenons, and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, twenty frames, and there forty bases of silver, two bases under one frame, and two bases under the next frame. And for the rear of the tabernacle, westward, you shall make six frames, and you shall make two frames for corners of the tabernacle in the rear. They shall be separate beneath but joined at the top at the first ring. Thus shall it be with both of them. They shall form the two corners, and there shall be eight frames with their bases of silver, sixteen bases 
two bases under one frame and two bases under another frame. You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the frames on the one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames on the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames of the side of the tabernacle at the rear westward. The middle bar halfway up the frames shall run from end to end. You shall overlay the frames with gold and shall make their rings of gold for holders for the bars, and you shall overlay the bars with gold. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it, and you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold, on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place, and you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table, and you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen embroidered with needlework, and you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold, and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 579 of this podcast. Today is Wednesday, March 15th, 2023. And that, my friends, was Exodus chapter 26. That is the instructions that God gave to Moses for the building of the tabernacle, which is kind of a big deal. And I think some of us myself included, over the years, have looked at these passages, these chapters in Exodus and thought, man, this is tedious. And that's a bad sign, right? That's that's not so good. That's bad. That's bad on us that we would say, man, there's just all these measurements and all these materials and all these specifications and all these requirements and all these, I, man, what is this in here for? Why do I need to know this? And one possible answer, one partial answer, is that God is holy. What does it mean if we would say God is worthy of all our worship, of all our praise, of all our best effort? Whatever our hand finds to do, we should do it with our strength. We should work as unto the Lord, not for men, first and foremost, not for the approval of people, as Paul writes in Galatians, if he were still seeking the approval of men, he would not be a servant of Christ. And yet, what does it mean if we don't move on from saying, I'm not looking for man's approval, but we don't say, I am working 
as one approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, presenting myself to God himself. I want to work in such a way that God himself is pleased when we look at the instructions, very specific, very particular, the materials, the dimensions, the layout, where is this going to go? Put that over there. Okay, I want this to be built like this. I want these materials to be fashioned in such and such a way. No, no, not there. Over a little bit. You have, I think, perhaps also not just God saying, all right, I've got instructions for you. Get a pen and paper ready. Not just to give us busy work, but perhaps in part to say, God pays attention to the details. The details matter to God. If the details don't matter to us, we get bored, we get distracted, we get whatever. If the details don't matter to us, but they do matter to God, then perhaps that should direct our attention more to appreciating how good a thing it is that the details matter to him when we are so distracted. God is not distracted. He's not distractible. He doesn't get off on tangents and rabbit trails. No, no. He knows exactly what it is that he wants, and he can be very specific if he wants to be. If he gives us general principles too, maybe we should be all the more appreciative that they are general principles. When he gives us very specific instructions, like he gives to Moses here regarding the tabernacle, or when he gives specific instructions to Noah for the building of the ark, maybe we should be all the more glad and relieved and happy when he gives us general principles. But then, you know, sometimes general principles can be dizzying. We're told, hey, you're free to have anything you want, do anything you want. Just don't murder, don't steal, don't slander, don't covet, don't take God's name in vain, don't worship any other gods, don't, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And we say, yeah, but what does that translate into in terms of a specific choice to make in this particular case. You know, yes, we have in James, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Only let him believe and not doubt. For the man who doubts is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. All right, that's great. I'll ask God for some specific wisdom. Also to, not instead of, but alongside, I'm going to go to his word and I'm going to look at how particular, how specific, how detailed God can be. And insofar as this is not God describing how he's going to build his own tabernacle. No, no, no. This is God giving instructions for how his people are going to build his tabernacle. That's important to note. He pays attention to details and occasionally he tells us to pay very special attention to details. And the details do matter when they are in his word, when he gives us details, then those details matter. They have value intrinsically because God said so. And if we want to dispute that, well, then that really gets to the heart of it, doesn't it? It really gets to the heart of it if we would prefer values over truth. If we would prefer general principles over specific instructions, when God gives us specific instructions, that might be us being rebels and being at odds with God. Now, if he gives us general principles and we prefer very, very specific, very particular instructions, and we want to hold everybody to those, that also might be 
that we are getting a little bit full of ourselves, a little bit big for our britches, and we should take care. But both have their place. General guiding principles on the one hand, when God gives those to us, and on the other hand, very specific detailed instructions when he gives us those. Also, you know, I was thinking, I've been playing this game with my sons called The Hunter, Call of the Wild. It's been out for a few years now, and it's a hunting simulator. Lots of fun. You can go all over the world and you can hunt big game and you can hunt birds and you can save your harvest when you harvest an animal and you get a trophy rating. And so certain animals are going to be bigger or more well-developed or you're taking a shot from a long ways away and you've got to use the right caliber and you've got to think about shot placement and shot placement matters for the overall score, how many shots you take, whether you were using the right caliber for that class of animal. Also too, if there was a whole herd of them, did you pick the one that is extraordinary or did you just shoot whichever random one was uh, you know, in view? Were you patient, right? Were you patient? Did you take your time and wait for the right animal to get into a position for taking a good shot? All of that goes into the trophy rating. And then what you can do if you are making money every time you harvest one of these animals, making more money, the more rare or uh, skilled your harvest was, then what you can do is you can taxidermize the harvest. And when you do that, they have these trophy lodges in the game that you can go to your friend's trophy lodges, your friends can come to your trophy lodges, and you can get your trophies mounted on the wall or mounted on the floor, put in various positions. And you can kind of just show off, hey, here's the story here. And, oh, I was hunting in Hirschfelden. And, uh, you know, here I was hunting in Silver Ridge Peaks. And I came up over this hill and it was foggy out and it was the nighttime. And then I see this giant fill in the blank. And there he is, you know, or I was hunting in the Yukon. Like yesterday I was hunting in the Yukon. And I got attacked not once, not twice, three times by packs of wolves. And I had my first casualty. I hadn't died in the game to that point, but I had my first casualty getting killed by a pack of wolves. So that was fun. And by fun, I mean uh, somewhat terrifying, right? The more realistic the simulation, the more that heart gets pumping in a really primal way when you've got a whole pack of wolves snarling and howling and charging you from different directions, zigging and zagging and coming at you again and again. One's coming up from behind while you're focused on this one ahead of you and this one over to the right. And I died once, but it's a game and I'm okay. I'm not actually dead. I'm still here. And it's a simulation, right? You're playing this simulated game in part because it's maybe preparation for if you were ever in a situation like that, Let's say I ever do get the opportunity to go hunting in the Yukon and a pack of wolves comes at me, bro. And maybe now I'll have some ideas. I'll have thought through that a little bit more than I otherwise would have if you just dropped me in cold. But I'm mounting these trophies on the wall and on the floor in various positions. And I'm thinking to myself as I rearrange, no, I think this one would look better over there. Yeah, you know, I've now I've got a better moose. I think I'm going to mount his head on the wall here between these two other moose that I have harvested you know, in the last week or two 
these other two bull moose. This one's a better bull moose. I'm going to mount him in the center. When you first come in the front door, you're going to look up the staircase and see this guy, right? Looking really great. But the shot placement, <clears throat> here's the funny thing. The shot placement on that most recent bull moose that I harvested right after the last mission in the Yukon was great, but I took too many shots. You're supposed to take two shots or less, which would be you know, either one or two shots. You're going to have to shoot it at least once, but at least one shot with a right, right proper uh, shot placement, double lung, heart shot, spine shot, something like that. A headshot as well would work with the right caliber. And that animal's going to drop. You take a headshot on a moose and you have damaged your trophy rating because that's the part of the animal you're going to want to mount on the wall after all. And so you really want to aim for the breadbasket, aim for the heart and the lungs. And if you have to take a follow-up shot, you want that shot to be well-placed. You want at least one vital organs hit. But if you take three shots like I did, because I didn't want to let this guy get away and I wasn't quite sure he was a big, big bull. I wasn't quite sure with him running away after I'd hit him twice, apparently, if those were good shots or if he was really going to go down or if I was going to have to chase him forever and a day through wolf country. And so I took a third shot and that third shot did pretty much nothing except for reduce the trophy rating. Shot him in the back leg and it did like 1% damage, you know, just grazed him. But it was enough that what could have been possibly a diamond-rated bull moose ended up being a gold-rated, which is still great. Still great. Just not as good as it could have been. And my point in telling you all of that is I find my failure points playing this game in real life how much more so? Because it's, as I was explaining to my sons, it's more complicated, right? You have your own fatigue level, not like in a game when you're just moving the mouse and the keyboard and you're just thinking. In real life, you're carrying gear and you're trudging and you're going to get tired. And so that's going to weigh. You're going to get cold when it's cold out. You're going to get hot when it's hot out. That's going to weigh on you. And then you finally have the shot to take and you're tired and that's going to make you a little bit shakier and you've got to know kind of how to pace yourself, right? Pace yourself to where you're not just camping out, sitting in one spot where the game aren't, where the wild animals aren't that you're trying to harvest, but not overextend yourself so much that by the time you get to them, you just want to go home because you're just dead tired, right? I look at my own finitude in just playing something as simple as that game. Or making, if I make a mistake, if I don't catch an error in my programming, since I'm an automation controls programmer working in the oil and gas industry, if I make a mistake and I don't catch an error right away, somebody else points it out to me, I say, oh, you know what? My attention to detail is not always quite what I wish it were. And yet all the more rather than less, my respect for my reverence for God increases when I recognize that he actually pays quite a lot of attention to detail. He knows the number of hairs on our head. And more to the point, he has created us with the capacity for every one of those hairs to be there. And when they stop being there, the older I get, I'll be 37 in November, when the capacity for those hairs to be on my head is diminishing and the hairs on my shoulders and 
back are increasing. <laughs> True story. Not to go TMI. Also, the hair in my ears seems like it's getting longer and more aggressively growing the older I get. It, you know, God has created even the capacity for the growth of the hairs. And when it changes over time, as I get older, I'm getting more gray hairs and I'm getting thinner in the hair department up top. That's all attention to detail that matters greatly. And it's a comfort that God has paid that attention because he knows how to restore us. He knows how to make us whole again when he makes all things new, when he refreshes power cycles, if you will, the heavens and the earth, reboots, reloads windows, formats the hard drive, reloads everything from a backup. He selectively chooses which things to back up and restore. When he does the system restore, the new heavens and the new earth, it's comforting to me, actually, that God pays so much attention to detail, even if I'm a little bit confused as to why this detail, why that detail, why does it need to be this many cubits and not a little bit more, or a little bit less? Why do you want it to be this material? Not that I'm questioning God, but I'm just genuinely curious. Why? Right? Why this material? There's lots of materials you could have chosen there. Why this one? What's the significance? What are you wanting to communicate about yourself, God? What are you wanting us to be transformed by here? Because we have to remember, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. That includes Exodus 26. When Paul writes that, that includes Exodus 26. And so if it's not evident at first blush what the profit is, what the benefit is, what the gain is in making the man of God, you or myself, complete, equipped for every good work, then we should not just say, well, there's no profit. There's no benefit. I don't see the benefit. There is no benefit. No, no. No, no. Hold on. Look harder, right? Look harder. So moving on from Exodus, we will come back to some of these attention to detail items, but I don't want to run out of time before I get to some current events pieces, starting with this delightful video that not to be posted up, Holly Ash, not her real name, just like the small uh, avatar of Marilyn Monroe is not, I trust, her real face. But this is the internet after all, and these are pseudonyms after all. This chick says out loud what every employer thinks when they see pronouns on a resume, and she nails it. I'm going to play clip one, cut one here. You can take a listen. This is some young lady, beautiful young lady driving somewhere in her vehicle and talking about what an employer, a potential employer is thinking when they see a resume with preferred pronouns. Take a listen. So if I was like hiring and I saw pronouns, here's what I'm going to assume. I'm going to assume you're obviously very liberal. So I'm going to assume you're one of those people that um, is super far left. Um, hey, I'm going to assume you're not a very hard worker. Um, you are either a female or you're a probably not straight guy. So everything in the office is going to have to cater to you, your feelings, your needs, and your emotions. So everyone around you is not going to be able to be themselves and walk on eggshells. Why would anyone want someone like you unless everyone's like you in a work environment? You're going to be the laziest person. You're going to be the most entitled, complain the most, and I think you're going to be the first to sue. 
So shocker that pronouns weren't helping you guys. Sorry, did I, is there anything I missed there? Uh, no. Uh, <clears throat> Madam, I think that pretty well covers it. I think that is pretty well the summary. Uh, I was trying to find words over the last year or two, and you, you found them. So thank you. Thank you, madam, for finding the words to describe that feeling I get when I see somebody on LinkedIn in particular who has their preferred pronouns in their profile. I see this on social media these days. I'm sure you've seen it too. If you're on social media of any kind where Facebook and uh, LinkedIn and the rest, they give you the option to put your preferred pronouns in. And I refuse to do it. No, no, it's pretty obvious from my profile picture that I'm a guy. I'm a, I'm a man. You'll know if you have any sense what my pronouns should be. I would prefer that you actually use the correct pronouns to describe me as a man because I'm a man. That's what I would prefer. Is that okay for me to just say I would prefer that you stop telling me your preferred pronouns? Are, are we at an impasse now? Of course we're not. Of course we're not. Because this is a lever. This is a lever for more wholesale, broad-based, comprehensive cultural revolution. This transgender movement is not actually about protecting transgendered people. It's actually trying to enlist more and more people to be confused about whether they are male or female. It is trying to enlist them as foot soldiers in a Marxist revolution, which is satanic, which is not compatible with Christianity. It's not compatible with sound economic principles. It's not compatible with life. And I don't see the conflict going away anytime soon. So you just need to embrace it. There's no getting around it. There's no avoiding it. We just are going to have to power through it. And part of how we power through it is by being clear-headed that this is abominable. And I don't just mean that we disagree and some people are confused. No, it's abominable. It's abominable and it goes right back to Satan. It goes right back to Satan. Hath God said, yeah. The answer is yes. Short conversation, yes. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Uh, Gary Brashears, who is the lecturer for A Guide to Christian Theology, which my family and I are hosting on Friday nights at our church. We host in our house A Guide to Christian Theology. I, th I think at this point we're going to be into September before we're done with it. We're already six months in, but we'll, we'll keep on going. We will, we will keep on going. Sometimes we have to cancel because people aren't feeling well or the holidays or there's a scheduling conflict, something else is going on that uh, people are going to be forced to choose otherwise. So we will be gracious and say, it's okay. It'll, it'll keep, right? This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. But Gary Brashears in his most recent lecture that actually I think we had to postpone having in our home, it would have been covered this last Friday. It will be covered this next Friday, sin part one. He talks about how the serpent comes to tempt Eve, and we know from the whole counsel of God that the serpent is Satan. The serpent is not just a snake. The serpent is Satan. And you say, if you're a snake lover, 
you say, oh, that's awful. You know, why are we saying that the snake is evil just because it's a snake? No, because God's word says that it's evil and Satan, <laughs> right? <laughs> Take it up with him, uh, which they're loath to do. They would rather throw rocks at us, the folks that love what is evil and they hate what is good. But Gary Brashears points out that could have been a way different conversation if Eve had said, you know, God, hold on a second, uh, serpent. Um, yeah, God, can, can you come over here? And uh, the serpent has a question about what you really said with regards to the fruit of this certain tree that you told us to not eat. What, what was the reason for that again? Do you, do you mind answering his question for him? You know, that would have been a much shorter conversation. Even if she had said, hey, uh, Adam, yeah, can, can you come over here for a moment? Yeah, this snake has a, a question, right? All of the last several thousand years of human history would have been a very, very different story. But of course, that's not what happened. The serpent suggested that Adam and Eve could become like gods if they disobeyed Yahweh God. And they proceeded to disobey Yahweh God. And the whole race fell into sin. And now here we are, confused about gender. And it all really goes back to Satan asking, hath God said? And the answer is yes. Yes, he has. So don't tell me your preferred pronouns. I don't want to hear it. Also, this is a package deal. For anybody who says, well, nobody's perfect. No, no, no. That is not going to cut it. That is not sufficient to just say nobody's perfect. Yes, that should temper our response to where we are gracious towards those who are repentant, but towards those who are unrepentant, those who are wolves in sheep's clothing, those who are swine and dogs, which even Jesus says, don't give to dogs what is holy. Don't throw your pearls before swine. You have to recognize that not everybody is a swine. Not everybody is a dog. Not everybody is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Not everybody is a hypocrite. Some people embrace hypocrisy because they see it as profitable. Some people are, I think, more or less agents of the evil one himself. I think Marx was. I think Alinsky was. I think Machiavelli was. Don't paint with such a broad brush that you say, well, because we're all sinners, therefore it's all the same. And you shouldn't point out especially those who are false teachers. That's not biblical. The whole counsel of God would have us saying, as Paul does, that those who teach are held to a higher standard. How would it be if we reverse that and we say, well, those who are teachers should be regarded with the exact same level of scrutiny as those who don't teach? How would that be? Particularly if what they teach is false, it's ungodly, it's wicked, it's depraved, it's a throwing in the towel as far as God's authority goes in favor of creating favor with man, the approval of man. Paul says, if I were still seeking man's approval, I wouldn't be a servant of Jesus Christ, which is to say, I'm not seeking man's approval. I'm seeking God's approval. And as such, I serve you. I serve you at his behest and I pay attention to details and I care about you because he says so first and foremost, not the other way around. If I get it reversed to where I care about God because you told me to, then I will care about God in exactly the way and manner that you tell me to. And I will only pay attention to the details of the whole counsel of God that you want me to. I can't do that. I can't do that. I want to hear from my Lord and Savior, well done and good, well done, good and faithful servant. I am not looking to hear that from you first and foremost. 
Switching gears a little bit, although it, it does relate, and I'll hopefully make that clear shortly. Crime Scene Investigation, CSI. Uh, here, I'm not talking about the line of work. First and foremost, I'm talking about the TV show that was on CBS from 2000 to 2015, 15 seasons, long-running show that sparked follow-up shows. CSI recently came to mind last week when our youngest son, Andrew, was wearing some sunglasses. And the way in which he took those sunglasses off and then put them back on reminded me of Detective Caruso, I think his name was, from the offshoot show CSI Miami. There was this characteristic signature that was in, I think, every episode where Detective Caruso would deliver some pithy one-liner on the scene of the crime or back at the lab or wherever they were questioning a witness. And he would put his sunglasses back on and then walk away. He would deliver the one-liner, put his sunglasses back on and walk away, just absolutely as cool as a cucumber. And therefore, I made some reference, right? This came back to mind from the show. And I made some reference to the show with my sons in the room. One of them was holding Andrew and that my wife was sitting on the green chair and we were talking back and forth. And then I realized, right? I realized all of a sudden that my sons didn't catch the reference to CSI because they have no idea what CSI is. They had never seen the show. They had never heard of the show. They had no idea what I was talking about. So then I'm like, oh, well, I'm sitting here at my computer. I'll go ahead and pull up a clip of what I'm talking about, right? This used to be a thing. And back when I was in high school, junior high to high school, I graduated in 2005. So just about perfect for my whole high school years uh, part of life. This was one of my favorite shows to watch, CSI. And a little bit older, a little bit younger, it probably wouldn't have been. But right at that time, I just ate it up. And I enjoyed the writing. I enjoyed the acting. I enjoyed the attention to detail. I enjoyed the analysis. Hey, these guys, they're supposed to solve mysteries, solve puzzles. And they have to pay attention to the details and not take things at face value. The first account that they get from law enforcement or the witnesses or the victims, or the suspects is not necessarily, and by not necessarily, I mean never, <laughs> actually, what ends up being uh, the, the conclusion of the matter. And part of how they figure that out is they look at the evidence, and they use deductive reasoning, and they banter back and forth, and they get to the bottom of it, and they keep digging until they have successfully proven or disproven uh, something that's been put forward at the beginning. But it's a process, right? That's their job so that innocent people are not condemned and so that guilty people do not get away with straight up murder, right? So that's the whole premise of the show. That is to say that the whole premise of the show is that sometimes people do bad things. Sometimes people do bad things. And when people do bad things, you have to pay attention to the details if you're going to know who done it. Why would you want to know who done it if you're not going to do anything about it when you find out who done it? In our day, I think 
that CSI would be a very different show. In fact, they rebooted CSI Vegas, they called it, uh, back in 2021, apparently. So the first episode that I tried to look up of CSI, because I showed a clip and then my sons are like, oh, can you just play a whole episode? And I'm like, oh, sure. You know, it's been a long time since I watched it, but sure. And so I looked up CSI Vegas and it was available on Prime Video with Paramount Plus. And we started to watch and it's like, this is not what I remember. This isn't the original show. Oh, they rebooted it. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. The main detective, the boss lady, is a strong black woman. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs> I can't believe it. You know, one of the main characters from the original show, uh, you know, somebody's trying to break into his house and he's lost most of his eyesight. He's gone mostly blind. He's got to defend himself from this guy who has been sent to kill him. And so that's the premise, right? That's the premise of the first episode of the reboot is somebody wants him dead. You know, it could be a lot of people, right? Could be a lot of people that he put behind prison uh, bars in his time as a cop, as a detective. But we watched just enough of the reboot to realize that it wasn't the original show. Then we closed out of that. And I opened up season one, episode one, the pilot episode of the original CSI show and did not watch the whole thing because it, there was some inappropriate uh, material that just, I, my sons don't need to see that. My, my teenage sons, my junior high sons don't need to see that. And some images popped up on the screen. Some themes were being discussed that I, you know what? We, we, we just don't need you to be digesting that certainly at this age. And so we closed out, but I still, I, I found myself struck by the attention to detail and the dedication to due process. And what a lazy thing it is to upend the tradition of due process and paying attention to details in the name of social justice, in the name of identity politics and supposedly protecting this and that and the other minority group. Basically, why, why even look at the evidence? You have all the evidence you need if what really matters is someone's gender or sexuality or their ethnic uh, composition or their socioeconomic status or how much power they have, authority they have. You know, if all you need to know is are they a straight white male in a position of authority who has wealth and probably these days uh, is a conservative Christian. If that's all you need to know to throw the book at them or to shut them up, oh, they couldn't, they couldn't be innocent. Or if they claim to have been harmed in some way, well, they couldn't have really been harmed. In the interest of social justice, we're going to let the perp walk. You know, that's that's antithetical. That's antithetical. But one thing I note with the original CSI show is. It's all just science. It's all just man's capacity to reason. And part of the reason why we turned off the episode is because, hey, some of this stuff, they're definitely just throwing red meat in front of the audience because they know that eyeballs are going to tune in and not just watch the show. They're also going to watch the advertisements. And if some of that material that they're throwing in there 
didn't really need to be in there, but it was just exploiting our primal instincts, our primal desires. Well, then, is it any wonder that there's a shelf life for this package deal? We package these things together and then people say, hmm, yeah, I don't think we need due process anymore. I think all we need to know is somebody's race, sexual identity, gender identity, socioeconomic status, education level. I think that's all we really need to know. Can we put them into either the category of oppressor class or oppressed? And intersectionality works both ways. If you're saying that somebody is all the more to be treated with kid gloves because they're intersectional in all these several ways, then you're also going to say if they check none of those boxes, they're probably an oppressor. If the person who checks all of these intersectional boxes is oppressed, well, then the person who checks none of them it must be the oppressor, must be guilty. And that's the way reasoning is going these days. And it's a major problem. And I'm not saying let's all go watch CSI because actually I think it, it, it was like stage one cancer. It was stage one cancer when we started divorcing our rational faculties from the truth of God's word, from God's attention to detail. That was stage one cancer. Stage two cancer was when <laughs> those who would try anyways to say, well, you know, God's word says this, it is written, we're told, ah, you know what, you can't impose that on other people, right? You, you need to just kind of keep that to yourself. Lifestyle evangelism, just be a nice person, be a kind person. People will be won over in the long run. You'll see. Stage three cancer is when the folks who were diametrically opposed to what God's word says, again and again, championing and celebrating and promoting and affirming everything that God says to not do, everything he says is an abomination. We were told, well, you have to let them, right? You can't force your beliefs on anybody, but they can and they should, and we need to just let them. Stage four cancer is when the or else becomes more and more apparent. They are going to affirm and celebrate these things. And if you refuse to affirm and celebrate these things with them, then you must be part of the oppressor class. If you argue your own innocence, if you argue for due process and paying attention to the evidence and the details, then you are the problem. The harder you argue, the more we hate you, the more we are going to try and destroy you. That's stage four cancer. That's terminal. That is terminal. And CSI might not have been stage four cancer. The original CSI show from 2000 to 2015 it might not have been stage four cancer, but it was definitely at least stage two coming into stage three cancer. And now we've got full-blown stage four. It's terminal. And some of us are just flat not going to make it. Or just not. There's got to be repentance or death. And there has to be a resolute and enduring commitment to want God's approval first and foremost, or else it's curtains. It's curtains. The attention to detail matters very, very much. Now, back to the real world. Out of TV dramas from when I was in high school, the Denver Post has an article from March 10th from Bruce Finley, 
He's the author of this report. Bobert, this is Lauren Bobert, Republican Congresswoman from Colorado, highly controversial. Bobert announces she'll be a 36-year-old grandmother when her 17-year-old son's partner gives birth. Congresswoman announced family news during CPAC breakfast. So that is to say, if you do the math, she was maybe 19 when her son was born, which once upon a time, that wouldn't have been controversial at all. But because she's a Republican, because she is a straight white woman and a conservative, she is fair game. The Denver Post can declare open season on her and by extension, her son, they'll get they'll get their teeth into like a pack of wolves on the tundra. They'll get their teeth into her son and even this baby mama and the infant if by extension they can hurt Lauren Boebert and by extension they can hurt Republicans and conservatives in the U.S., they will absolutely do that. They will absolutely go there. If she were a Democrat and a woman of color and a lesbian, they would circle the wagons. They would absolutely insist that nobody say an untoward word about her. But because she's a Republican, they're going to play the guilt by association game and say, ah, this is what Republicans are like. And if you scroll down to the comment section, that's what the people in the comment section are talking about. These right-wing conservative religious bigots trying to force their Christianity on us, and they don't even live according to their own standard. So what? So what? Right? That should be the question. What is that proof? What is that proof that her 17-year-old son got a girl pregnant and is not married and has no job and surely still lives at home? What does that prove with regards to what is true and what is good and what is beautiful? You seem to be alluding to there being a fixed standard of what is right and wrong. Are you then also trying to insist that there is no standard of right and wrong, true and false, because Lauren Boebert had a son when she was 19 and that son has a baby on the way at 17 like what's your what's your argument here please uh, explain but they can't right they can't the flip side is this is a great example of why it's so important that conservatives know what they're conserving what are we conserving are we just concerned that the left is going to destroy everything but at the end of the day all we really care about is our 401k our house, our vehicle, our ability to go and get more than just one type of bread in a bread line, but to be able to go to the grocery store and get you know, multigrain and sourdough and hot dog buns and Hawaiian sweet rolls. I mean, what are we conserving and why is absolutely critically important and how we go about conserving it. Frankly, Frankly, in the interest of consistency, not to get your approval, but because I'm trying to abide by the whole counsel of God, frankly, I don't think Lauren Boebert should be in Congress. I think she should be at home. I think her getting so into politics is not so good. And she was needed more in the upbringing of her son that he wouldn't get a girl pregnant he's not married to. Now, I'm not going to harp on that, but if you want to know my position on it, I think there should be some qualified man 
in this district. And it's an indictment on the condition of men in the United States of America that a 36-year-old grandmother, soon to be grandmother, is the best we can do. I think that's very unfortunate. And I think that's very concerning. And I think from what I've read of Polybius, when he talks about the downfall of Greece before Rome came in and conquered them, we are checking all the boxes for civilizational collapse. Stage four cancer. When you can't say, hey, I might agree with some of your political positions, political convictions, some of your prescriptions, Lauren Boebert, but I don't think you should be a congresswoman because you're a young woman still. And she might appreciate being called a young woman, but she's, you know, my age, my wife's age, just about. We had our oldest son when Lauren and I were 20. So no judgment there, but you're a woman. I think that you should not be in Congress. I think we need men to step up. And if we're not producing the kind of men who would be able to run successfully for office in your district, you're the best that that district in Colorado can do. Was that a diversity hire? Was that an affirmative action pick? Oh, you're a young woman. And the Republican Party said, you know, two can play that game. The Democrats field candidates that are diversity picks so that nobody can criticize them. We'll do that too. Yeah, that'll teach them. But ours will be a conservative. Yeah, but what are you conserving when you're putting a woman to the fore and you're saying this woman needs to be the champion for gun rights and the pro-life cause and lower taxes and less regulation, a smaller government that is more interested in protecting our liberties, less interested in running our lives? What are you conserving when you say you're going to do exactly what the Democrats do, but just put an R behind it? From a tactics standpoint, I mean. It's not so good. What are you conserving? On the flip side, you know, the or else here is very important. It's very important. I'm going to go ahead and play cut two here. This is Jane Fonda, Hanoi Jane, as she used to be known back in the day, back in her prime. She went on The View recently and was talking about Roe v. Wade having been overturned by the Supreme Court. She had some shall we say, interesting ideas for what women and those on the left might need to do moving forward to rectify the situation. But without tainting the witness, the jury, uh, tampering with evidence too much, I'm going to play the clip and then I have some thoughts. Take a listen. We have experienced many decades now of having agency over our body, of being able to determine when and how many children to have. We know what that feels like. We know what that's done for our lives. We're not going back. I don't care what the laws are. We're not going back. I think the women will rise up. That's the activist. That's Jane speaking, yeah. and, and, and and she probably will get a Nobel Prize. But it's the truth. Very, very soon. It, it is the truth. But We're I, not going to do it. Besides, besides marching and, and protesting, what else do you suggest? Well, well it doesn't happen murder. overnight. It's not a miraculous... <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> murder. She's kidding. Wait a second. She's just now, kidding. Don't say that. That's oh, not... you don't know. They'll pick up on that and yeah, just run with it. Yeah, that's the worst. She's joking. just kidding. It's... Well, let me talk to you about... <laughs> Let's move on and talk about Jane's activism, which is yeah. legendary. And cut. 
Uh, yes, it is legendary. Uh, not famous, infamous would be a better word. Uh, despicable. Despicable, and if you don't know, go research, go Google it. We're not going to get into the weeds with Hanoi Jane and that whole story from back in her heyday. But just take this clip, this one-minute clip. She straight up says, yeah, it, it involves murder. And besides marching and protesting, what do you suggest? It involves murder. Well, I'll bet it does. Yeah. Actually, more to the point, everything about the pro-choice, pro-abortion side of the political spectrum in the United States involves murder because abortion is murder. So in the interest of consistency, yeah, you you would be okay with murdering adult men and women who are in the legislature or who run for president or who are on the Supreme Court or who are on lower courts in states. You, you would. Yeah. Yeah, you would. And she has a very serious look on her face when they're like, oh, she's kidding. She's just kidding. You know, don't say that. People are going to make hay out of it. But that's what it is. That That's what it is. And, you know, I appreciate your honesty. Thanks for that. Right. Every now and then you get these honest leftists who know what they're about and they just say, yeah, no, it's, it involves murder. Of course it does. Of course it does. And that's what we're up against. And you would know that before the quiet part is said out loud, if you were paying attention to details, following the evidence. If we're not following the evidence, if we're not paying attention to the details, then I guess we just wait until people are being straight up murdered. And yet that's the problem. For 50 years in this country, before Roe v. Wade was overturned, tens of millions of especially Generation X were straight up murdered. And the ones who made it through very often were told by their parents, primarily baby boomers, consider yourself lucky that we didn't deport you. And now Gen X has an inferiority complex. And I think this is part of why Gen X tries to keep their head down and not make waves too much. And if they do get into a position of authority, they're, they're given it, right? They're given it by the boomers who... I think are the equivalent of the generation that was brought out of Egypt. 40 years in the desert might be all that really saves us from their collective folly and hubris. More than naivety, abject selfishness and disobedience and grumbling, their idea of liberation is and has been for decades to be liberated from God's authority. And when they turn religious, I think very often, too often, there's still something affected by the zeitgeist of their generation. And you get Gen X saying to the baby boomers, hey, thanks for not aborting us, those of us who made it. And the millennials that the baby boomers, the oldest of the Gen Xers and the youngest of the baby boomers had in the 80s and the 90s were way overprotected. And so a lot of millennials, they've gotten this reputation for being entitled, for being coddled. You know, that primarily comes from, one, the baby boomers having guilty consciences and trying to make up for what they did in their 20s, particularly if they got abortions, but not just. But it also comes from the Gen Xers who resent 
they're jealous of millennials. You know what? Don't be so jealous. We we were damaged in a different way by being overprotected, overly coddled. What do you think happens when a kid is just kept inside their whole life and they're never allowed to go out and be exposed to microbes? They have an underdeveloped immune system. Everything makes them sick. They are sickly. That's not protective. That is abusive. That's not loving, actually. That's not loving. And I hope that enough is enough for millennials and for Gen Z and for Generation Alpha. I hope that enough is enough has us going back to God's word and saying, all right, Lord, we would prefer dangerous liberty over safe slavery. We are not going to grumble against you and ask whether there weren't graves in Egypt that we were brought out into the wilderness to die. We're going to trust you to provide. We're going to follow after you. We're going to obey you and serve you. I hope and I pray for my generation and yes, for the Gen Xers too, even the most cynical. I hope and I pray for the Generation Z and Generation Alpha who so many of are being mutilated because the boomers have gotten bored and Gen X is carrying the torch and a lot of millennials are still hyperventilating at every possible threat and danger in a collective way and critical mass will be reached. I think we're seeing that with SVB. And by the way, I got an email here while I was recording this from Connor Boyack. You might recognize the name. He's the author of the Tuttle Twins books. He has the ability to email me now because I ordered the box set here recently of the Tuttle Twins books. I've been hearing about them for years. We'll let you know how they are if you haven't ever come across them. I've heard good things, really good things. But his email is, uh, here's the list of books that should be bailed out. The comprehensive list, he writes in the body of the email, the comprehensive list of all banks deserving a bailout. One, none of them. Two, when in doubt, see number one. And that is to say, the idea of bailing out these big banks, the idea of having directors of safety, public trust, who obsessively censor and throttle and shadow ban and deplatform people for saying things that might be upsetting or troubling. Stanford University, for instance, having a associate dean of DEI who mau mows a federal judge because he was a Trump appointee and he's there to speak to the Federalist Society at Stanford. You know, all of these are symptoms of an overprotectiveness that amounts to slavery. You know, there's a quote from Reagan I'll share with you if you've never heard it, or if you have heard it and you just need reminded, as government expands, liberty contracts. Another great quote, socialists ignore the side of man that is the spirit. They can provide you with shelter, fill your belly with bacon and beans, treat you when you're ill, all the things guaranteed to a prisoner or a slave. They don't understand that we also dream. Great quote. Great quote. Moving on, back to the present. Let's leave the 80s 
in the 70s and the 60s behind for a moment. Come back to the present. Hank Berrien over at the Daily Wire published a piece. Just yesterday, Christian school girls basketball team refuses to play school with boy on roster. Association bans them from future tournaments. This is kind of a big deal. Lest people get too comfortable with the trope that we don't have persecution here in the United States. That's something that happens in Middle Eastern countries and in communist countries. Just wait. Just wait. It's coming. Maybe it's not here, but the birth pains are upon us, it would seem. A Christian school forfeited a girls' basketball game in the state playoffs. In the state playoffs. Okay? Don't miss that. Because their opponent had a high school boy on the squad, now the Vermont Principals Association has banned the Christian school from future tournaments. In February, mid-Vermont Christian school's girls' basketball team was scheduled to play against Long Trail Mountain, which has a high school boy on its girls' basketball roster. Vicki Fogg, the head of mid-Vermont Christian school, issued a statement delineating why her school would not play. Quote, we withdrew from the tournament because we believe playing against an opponent with a biological male jeopardizes the fairness of the game and the safety of our players. Allowing biological males to participate in women's sports sets a bad precedent for the future of women's sports in general. End quote. But on Monday, the Vermont Principal Association, which controls high school sports in the state, sent the Christian school a letter, which stated, and I quote, on March 13, 2023, VPA Executive Council met and determined that mid-Vermont Christians forfeit to 2023 and corresponding rationale, as shared in the Valley News of 2-25-23, violates VPA policies which are aligned with Vermont state law. Specifically, the school's actions do not meet the expectations of the VPA's first and second policy, commitment to racial, gender, fair, and disability awareness, and policy of gender identity, respectively. Thus, mid-Vermont Christian school is ineligible to participate in VPA activities going forward. VPA Executive Director Jay Nichols revealed the VPA board voted unanimously 15-0 to to ban Mid-Vermont Christian school, saying, quote, if you don't want to follow VPA rules, that's fine, but then you're just not a VPA member. It's fairly simple, end quote. Now, briefly, because I do have a few other items to get to here, the rationale is important. What reason does Mid-Vermont Christian School girls basketball team give by way of Vicki Fogg for why they withdrew from the tournament? Boil it down to two words, fairness and safety. Fairness and safety. The counter argument is it's not fair for you to flout our rules in the VPA. Also, it's not safe to this male player who identifies as a female to play on the girls' basketball team. It's not safe for their sense of themselves for you to make public your withdrawing from the tournament. So therefore, we put them and their intersectionality into the oppressed category. We put you and you not checking enough intersectional biases into the oppressor category. And so now we know, now we know to not allow you to participate moving forward because you're the oppressors, they're the oppressed, 
this student in particular, this male student who's playing on the girls' team, is the oppressed. Now we know what to do with you. And if that holds, and if it has apologists like Tim Keller, for instance, if that holds, it adds up to, in short order, persecution of Christians in a more severe way. See also the news from last night about Antifa showing up at UC Davis when Charlie Kirk was speaking, breaking glass, breaking windows and doors, violently assaulting the building because Charlie Kirk allegedly wants to lynch transgendered people. That That's the claim. That's the headline. Can't let him talk. Can't let him speak. He's been invited to speak. Can't let him speak. I Google it. If you Google it right now, you will probably get the exact same warning at the top of the search results. And I quote, it looks like the results below are changing quickly. If this topic is new, it can sometimes take time for reliable sources to publish information, reliable sources to publish information, reliable sources to publish information. Who does Google consider to be reliable and on what basis and what are their positions? Check the source. Are they trusted on this topic? Come back later. Other sources might have more information on this topic in a few hours or days. In other words, give us time to curate your search results so that we can control your perception of the situation so that we can therefore modify your behavior. This is Persuasive Technology 101, Stanford's Persuasive Technologies Laboratory in Palo Alto might be a good thing for you to look up and research. At the same time, this is going to be cut three. Jesse James over at Not the Bee published a piece March 12th, 2023. Wait, what? Glenn Youngkin calls for gender neutral bathrooms in schools during CNN town hall. Take a listen and then I'll have some thoughts for you. Look at me. I am a transgender man. Do you really think that the girls in my high school would feel comfortable sharing a restroom with me? So first of all, Nico, thank you for, again, asking the question and being here tonight and uh, engaging in this important discussion. I believe first, when parents are engaged with their children, then you can make good decisions together. And I met your dad, and I'm glad that you're both here together. That's really, really important. I also think that there are lots of students involved in this decision. And what's What's most important is that we try very hard to accommodate students. That's why I have said many, many times, we just need extra bathrooms in schools. We need general neutral bathrooms. And so people can use a bathroom that they, in fact, are comfortable with. Again, the rationales are very important. The reasons stated are very important. What's actually going on here is mow-mowing. This is not a good faith discussion. This is a loyalty test. This is, I'm going to say jump. And when I say jump, you say how high. Glenn Youngkin looks extraordinarily nervous and uncomfortable because he knows that his political future, perhaps his very life, is on the line here. And when I say his life is on the line, what we should understand is Depending on what he might say in answer to this question, in response to this question, not just his reelection chances, but also his very life could be jeopardized, which just goes to show that the radical left 
is not interested in safety for them. They're interested in the safety of their political ideology and their political ambitions. This is proof positive once more that we need to know what we're conserving and why we're conserving it. It's not enough just to say, well, I'm very concerned about the radical left. Yeah, but what are your positions? What are you for? And why? And on what basis? You can't get much less attention to detail, in my view, than saying that a boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy. We don't even know who is a man, who is a woman, what is a man, what is a woman. If someone gets up and they say, I'm the opposite, and they dress the part, we have no idea what to say back except we need everybody to feel comfortable. The reasons for proposing gender-neutral bathrooms by Glenn Youngkin, if you want to boil it down to one word, we know where the priority is, comfort. What is it that you guys want from me as a Republican governor? He's asking, essentially. You want comfort. And so I'm going to promise you comfort. You want to feel comfortable. Everybody wants to feel comfortable. So I'll give them comfort. It's like, "Mm." yeah, but what if comfort is a lower order need compared with what's being threatened right now by the transgender activists? That is the case, by the way. That is the case. What if what is very important here is not just our comfort? In the case of the Christian school in Vermont that has been told they are no longer allowed, their sports teams are no longer allowed to participate. Their reasons for withdrawing, it was good that they withdrew, I think. I'm good with that. But their reasons are also very, very important. If their reasons are fairness, well, who decides what is fair and on what basis? If their reasons are safety, oh, who decides whose safety is most important here and on what basis? You can't expect that those follow-on questions aren't going to be asked. And we can't assume. We can't assume, given the opposite, polar opposite worldviews of conservatives and leftists, Christians and communists, We can't assume that the answer to the question of what is fair, what is safe, what is comfortable is going to be satisfying for long. This is chumming the waters, really. Now the buzzword will be, well, we would feel really comfortable with X, Y, and Z. Well, we feel like the safety of this transgendered player is more important than the safety of your girls' basketball team. We feel like fairness is social justice, actually, which is the statement they're unanimously making there in Vermont. I'm going to go ahead and play another clip here. This one shared to Twitter just yesterday by Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida. A retweet of a video, Libs of TikTok, posted of an interview that President Biden did with The Daily Show. Without any introduction, here is the President of the United States of America and his thoughts on banning puberty blockers and sex change surgeries for children. Take a listen. Officiate our wedding, which would, which would be nice. But my, my question for you, Mr. President, is you codified uh, support for same-sex marriage and interracial marriages like, like ours I'm curious what your evolution was like on marriage equality and 
what the federal government might be able to do to protect LGBTQ Americans, especially trans kids who are dealing with all these regressive state laws that are popping up right now? I can remember exactly where my uh, epiphany was. Okay. Hadn't thought much about it, to tell you uh -huh. the truth. And I was, a, I was a senior in high school, and my dad was dropping me off. I remember about to get out of the car, and I looked to my right, and two well-dressed men in suits kissed each other. I mean, they gave each other a kiss. And then one went, looked like he was heading to the DuPont building, and one looked like he headed to the Hercules Corporation building. And I'll never forget, I turned and looked to my dad. He said, Joey, it's simple. They love each other. It's simple. No, I'm not joking. It's simple. They love each other. And it's never been, it's, it's, it's never been, it's just that simple. It doesn't matter whether it's, whether it's same sex or a heterosexual couple. You should be able to be married. What is the problem? So listen to your auntie and your uncle. Get married. Do it now. <laughs> Don't wait. Uh, transgender kids is a really harder day thing. What's going on in Florida is, as my mother would say, close to sinful. I mean, it's just terrible what they're doing. It's not like, you know, a kid wakes up one morning and says, you know, I decided I want to become a man or I want to become a woman or I want to change. I mean, what, what, what are they thinking about here? They're human beings. They love, they have feelings, they have inclinations that are, I mean, it, it just to me is, I don't know, it's cruel. And the way we do it is we make sure we pass legislation like we passed on same-sex marriage. You mess with that, you're breaking the law, and you're going to be held accountable. <clears throat> okay, so let me translate. The President of the United States of America, who is purported to be a devout Catholic, Roman Catholic, has just said to Cal Penn with The Daily Show that to prohibit children from undergoing sex change surgeries or being prescribed puberty blockers, to prohibit that at a state level like Florida is doing, like Republicans in Florida are doing, is close to sinful and cruel. And that his ambition, the ambition of the radical left here in the United States, is to actually make it against the law to try to stop children from being mutilated and drugged. Let me say that again. You have Republicans in Florida saying this is against the law. You cannot do this to children. And they really ought to, uh, taking a cue from Michael Knowles, I completely agree with Michael Knowles here, you ought to outlaw it, period. Not just when it's done to children, outlaw it across the board for anyone, child, adult, it doesn't matter. Why? Because it's an abomination, because it's an evil thing that is being done. It's evil. It's not close to sinful. It's evil. Because why? Because God said, we must obey God rather than men. We take our cues on what is sinful and what is righteous, what is wise and what is foolish, what is good and what is abominable from God. Not because we're perfect. Not because we never make a mistake, never do anything wrong. But that's a 
That's a failed argument. That's a failed argument. That's not the point. How would it be in every other similar situation throughout history? How would it be if those who said, hey, stop, 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 this is wrong, what's being done, if they were shouted down with, well, you're not perfect either, who made you a judge over us? Like the men of Sodom say to Lot, like the men of Gibeah say to the old man who invites the Levite in to be his guest, who made you to be a judge over us? Who do you think you are? You're not perfect either. We'll go digging. We'll go digging and reading your mail and looking at your tax returns and looking at your social media posts from a dozen years ago. We'll go looking until we find something. We'll fix you. Yeah, you just wait. You just wait. We'll fix you real good because that's exactly how the left operates. That's exactly how they are operating. That's exactly how they have been operating for years. And to be silent in the face of it guarantees that it will continue on. And if when some like Ron DeSantis, like Charlie Kirk, like Ali Beth Stuckey say, hold on, no, no means no. Like the Christian school in Vermont, if they say we are ducking out. If the folks who know better say, well, I'm going to stand back because I don't want Whatever's about to happen to you to happen to me, no thank you. Well, then the folks standing back are part of the problem. They are complicit. They are guaranteeing from their passivity that the activity of the radical left will continue apace and it will get more aggressive. And eventually, all you folks will reach your red line. And if you don't speak up now, there won't be anybody to have your back either. And that might just be what it is. That might just be what it is. This might be a generational thing. Allie Beth Stuckey tweeted out yesterday, I put the transition of children on the same level of evil as abortion, slavery, Nazism. Simply don't see a path of reconciliation with people who not only think it's acceptable, but wonderful. I'll take that a step farther and say, there's no reconciliation possible with people who are committed to the destruction of anyone who says, not only is this not wonderful, it's evil. This is headed for either the violent persecution of conservative Christians in particular, or a civil war. That's how big of a deal this is. Or a generation just wanders in the desert for 40 years. The details here matter. Shifting gears a little bit, lest we suppose that this is really about transgenderism and what bathroom people use and anything like that. A Utah plastic surgeon threw away $28,000 of COVID-19 vaccines, according to court documents. This is a write-up over at Becker Hospital Review. A Utah plastic surgeon and three others allegedly threw away at least $28,000 worth of COVID-19 vaccines, injected minors with saline shots, and distributed hundreds of fake vaccination cards, according to the Justice Department. Michael Kirk Moore Jr., MD, 58, and three co-defendants ran a scheme through the Plastic Surgery Institute of Utah by distributing nearly 2,000 fake vaccination cards for cash payments or required donations to a specified charitable organization, according to a January 18th news release. 
The defendants also administered saline shots to minors at the request of their parents, so children would think they were receiving a COVID-19 vaccine, the Justice Department said. Dr. Moore and Carrie D. Burgoyne, 52, Kristen Jackson Anderson, 59, and Sandra Flores, 31, are charged with conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to convert, sell, convey, and dispose of government property, and conversion, sale, conveyance, and disposal of government property and aiding and abetting. They are scheduled to appear in court in late January. This was updated Tuesday, January 31st, 2023. Page Twenter wrote it. This is of a piece. And the source of authority matters. The what and the why and the how matters. This is of a piece with the push for transing the kids by the radical left. It's of a piece with climate change hysteria too. This is giving a whole generation of kids the Bob Barker treatment type stuff. No, no, you will vaccinate these children with this vaccine. You will. It's arbitrary. It's capricious. It's tyrannical. It's totalitarian. And it will continue. It will get worse. This is just the tip of the iceberg unless more folk who know better say no. And don't say it quietly and privately and to yourself. Say it publicly, directly. Your children are at stake. The future is at stake. You, when you get past your prime, past working age, and the demographic crisis means that there's not enough young people employed, not enough resources to go around to take care of you, your health and safety is on the line. Because the same folk who can go on The View and say, well, it involves murder with regards to what to do with the Roe v. Wade decision, the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade last summer, the same folk who say it involves murder absolutely will gin up enough indignation coupled with their dehumanizing of their political opponents, their spiritual opponents, their theological opponents, they will gin up enough outrage to round up and eliminate the folks they have convinced themselves and one another are evil. Not just that we disagree, evil. Former CDC director details three damning events that raised eyebrows about Wuhan lab and how Fauci iced him. Joseph McKinnon over at The Blaze published a piece March 9th. First, they deleted the sequences, highly irregular. Researchers don't like to do that. Second, Redfield said, they changed the command and control at the lab from civilian control to military control, highly unusual. Third, which is very telling, they let a contractor redo the ventilation system in that laboratory. So I think clearly there was strong evidence that a significant event that happened in that laboratory in September. A quote from March 2021 when he went on CNN, Redfield I'm of the point of view that I still think the most likely etiology of this pathology in Wuhan was from a laboratory, escaped. Other people don't believe that. That's fine. Science will eventually figure it out. Oh, by the way, too, remember James O'Keefe with Project Veritas being ousted suspiciously close in the timeline to when they had their biggest story on Pfizer, the expose that Pfizer was engaged in gain-of-function research to create new vaccines against COVID, future strains of COVID. They were actively mutating COVID to create strains so that they could 
have the vaccines for those strains because this is a cash cow, because this is going to make a lot of money. Also, it's a great way to control the public. It's a great way to control the whole world's people. Keep that crisis going. Keep it rocking. ARC, let's go back to something I was talking about in yesterday's podcast episode. Their survey, six fundamental questions that contemplate responsible citizenship. The Alliance for Responsible Citizenship, ARC. Question two, how do we facilitate the development of a responsible and educated citizenry? Encourage people to study God's word, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to get married, to have children, to homeschool those children, to all together as a family go to a church where all of that is affirmed, celebrated, supported, encouraged. That's how you facilitate the development of a responsible and educated citizenry. And this is why we homeschool you will face backlash, character assassination, deplatforming, regulation, threats of legal action, becoming blacklisted, disinvited, perhaps having your assets seized, perhaps being hauled into court for frivolous charges just to take your eye off the ball, just to keep you busy so that you can't participate in the ARC. You'll be threatened with physical violence up to and including deadly force by activists on the left, but that's where you should insist on the maintenance of Second Amendment rights to be able to protect your wife, your children, your home, your household, your property. Those are some answers. Also, in the church, you know, this is a a problem that I see and I've been all over the U.S., I've got family and friends all over the U.S., all over the American church, and I pay close attention and I watch and I listen. You can't develop a responsible and educated citizenry if folks are convinced that to speak up is only cost and no benefit, or that it's morally wrong, or that it's somehow wicked, sinful. You're going to have to get to the root of where our rights and duties both come from, ultimately. It's not enough just to say all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, unalienable rights. It's not enough to say that. You have to also pay attention to the details of God's word and say, what does God's word say? And believe it. And if you don't, if you won't, if you can't, then... It's all going to come back again and again to an arm wrestling contest over what is fairness, what is safe, what is comfortable. You'll be able to vote more conservatives in, but unless we have a firm conviction rooted in objective truth from God himself as to what is right and what is wrong, you're going to be Glenn Youngkin saying we need more gender neutral bathrooms Your Christian school is going to be disallowed from competing in the state tournaments. They're going to push for a respect for marriage act equivalent with regards to transing your kids. They will start transing your kids 
before you know anything about it, because the teachers will have groomed your children to think that you are an idiot who doesn't know anything. You're on the wrong side of history. So the public school teachers will keep on talking with your children privately about how they might have feelings sometimes. And it's okay to not tell your parents about those feelings and what we do. Get your kids out. Homeschool your kids. Make sure that they have good books, physical print books, not the kind of books that can be changed without notice by the publisher so that they're more diverse, equitable, inclusive. The new god of the left is a golden calf, and they call it DEI and ESG. It has many names, but it's satanic. Hath God said? Yes. Yes, he did. Short answer, yes, he did. Well, what did he say? Go back and ask him. Go back to his word. Pray and ask for wisdom. That's how you facilitate the development of a responsible and educated citizenry. You're going to have to sell it to them that there is a benefit that is worth the cost. If you can't do that, then we will keep on getting what we've been getting more and more. We don't need more centralization, but in a conservative direction. We don't need more experts, just conservative experts. We need men and women going back to God's word and asking God himself, because nobody's more expert than God. Nobody's more intellectually adept than God. Nobody knows better than God. If you want to make a positive difference, you're going to have to believe that. And we're going to have to pray that God himself intervenes on our behalf to provide and protect because it increasingly is looking like the deck is stacked against any individual action. Even if you get into power at the state level, you're having the threat, which will be followed through with, of federal laws. If you get somebody into the White House here in America, the media and big tech will destroy them, malign them, silence them. That's an if, if you get them into the White House. Because at first blush, when it looks like they might be gearing up, they'll get pruned and snipped. Unless we have providence, God's providence, guiding, directing, providing, protecting. But that's all the time I've got for this episode. I got to run. I'll put links in the description for this podcast episode. If you haven't already, hit subscribe. Share this content with somebody who needs to hear it. Consider subscribing. 99 cents a month is all I'm asking. You can listen to my subscription-only podcast episodes for 99 cents a month. It's really more of a gesture than get rich. It's not a get rich quick scheme. I promise you that. But consider subscribing if you haven't yet. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.